This was a series of sermons preached by Aaron Hale at Riverside Bible Camp in the summer of 2023. The theme verse for the week was from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Once again, and uh, hard to believe that we're actually already on our last evening together. So, uh, kind of like the week, it seems like it is, uh, you know, the end of the week's a long ways away, and then all of a sudden we're here, and uh, pray that it's been a, a great time for you guys, and we're going to continue to look at the Word of God together. Uh, just before we start, a little bit of review as we're just thinking about what we've been learning throughout the week. And I know you guys have been, been picking up a lot because I even see you answering questions and enjoying some of you with, uh, with the devotion time and seeing you thinking and asking questions is, is awesome to see. Uh, I think I'm, this is on here. Here, turn on. Um, can you hear me okay? Am I coming through? Uh, okay. That's good. So a little bit of review. Um, I want to just think for a moment, what are some of the specific covenants that we have seen God establish with man, going right back to the beginning. What was the, who was the first covenant? You guys can just shout these up. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, thank you. So there was a covenant there in the garden, right? And sometimes called the covenant of works, where God established an agreement with Adam. He would not eat the tree. If he did, he would die. And uh, of course that covenant was broken, and mankind was put into a state of rebellion against, uh, and sin against God. And uh, we find that we are, we are born into this rebellion against God because of Adam and Eve. So what's another uh, covenant that we looked at that God established with man? Noah. Noah, thank you. Uh, I heard two there, but well, Noah, that's right. This was another covenant God established, an agreement that he would not ever flood the earth again to destroy it. And the, the sign, the, the reminder of his covenant is the rainbow that we see in the sky reminding us that God is a covenant-keeping God. Uh, we also saw another covenant with Abraham and his descendants. Abraham and his descendants, thank you. So we looked at that one. Another covenant where God promises to Abraham to bless him and to bless the nations through him. This promised seed who we saw was finally and ultimately Christ. And then we looked at one more covenant with another group of people actually. Remember the one we looked at this morning? There's another covenant. Israel, thank you, I heard it. Yes, another covenant we looked at where God brings the descendants of Abraham, of Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, so the nation is called Israel. They're brought out of Egypt, they're brought to Mount Sinai, and there God gives them, what does God give them at Mount Sinai? Gives them Ten Commandments, he gives them the law, he gives them the, the ceremonial law, the temple worship is set up. And this actually, it's interesting, if, as you read your Bible, you may wonder what exactly is, is all of the, that's going on in the Old Testament. Once you come to the book of Exodus and you have the story of the Exodus out of Egypt, uh, basically from that point, you are primarily looking at God's work in dealing with the nation of Israel. Uh, and yes, we do see other nations involved, and sometimes God will speak to Babylon, or God will speak to uh, other empires. 
But primarily throughout the Old Testament is a book that is about the nation of Israel, the prophets of Israel. King David writes the Psalms, who is the, the psalmist, other, other authors there too. Proverbs, we have Solomon, his son, um, and, and, and so on. So as we come to the New Testament, you have to understand that that's the context in which Jesus arrives. He is a Jew. He is born under the law. He is born under the law of Moses specifically. And so it's important to understand this is how God had actually set up the entire scene that Abraham and his descendants were chosen by God to bring Christ into the world. And that's exactly what happens through Mary. But remember we talked about as well, it's important that Mary was, was a virgin when Christ was conceived in her. Why is that important? Well, Jesus was not born after the line of Adam. He did not inherit a sinful nature like we do. Jesus was born as a true man without sin, and therefore he is the God-man able to keep all of God's laws. So we've looked at these questions in our book. Uh, again, this is review. What is uh, a covenant? Is agreement between, between two or more people? We saw the skit. Covenant between two cabins, a contract, same idea, right? Um, we've looked at what is the covenant of grace um, uh, just briefly. And that's what I want to look at specifically tonight to, to really try to unpack this kind of final great expression of God's relationship to us, what we call the covenant of grace. And the answer is simply in your book, the covenant of grace, what is it? An agreement God made with his elect people to save them from their sins. And what did Christ undertake in the covenant of grace? Jesus' commitment, uh, I see your hand there. Jesus committed to, first of all, obey the law and suffer and die for the sins of his people in this covenant. And what is grace? Can someone remind me what grace is? Remember the acronym? G-R-A-C-E. So you take each letter and we have grace is... That's going to shut it up. Yes, thank you. God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's a great one to remember. Just think of, you can spell grace, G-R-A-C-E, then you just think each letter uh, represents a word, God's riches at Christ's expense. So we, we receive this grace from God, this forgiveness that we sing about, this adoption as sons, this inheritance of eternal life, this hope, this forgiveness, this peace with God, all of that comes through the grace of God, which is God's riches at Christ's expense. He actually purchased that for us at the cross of Calvary, which we've also been looking at. So if you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians, now this is where our, obviously our memory verse is found. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, keep going, Acts, Romans, First and second. Uh, Corinthians, keep going, keep going. Galatians and Ephesians. So we're going to just um, start actually at chapter one. I just want to read for you. Now, you may think that I try to fit, uh, I know I, my wife tells me this as well, I, I try to fit uh, sometimes too much information into a very small time. And so I do apologize for, at times, being guilty of that. But if you think that I'm bad at doing that, then, then you have not met the Apostle Paul, okay? This guy can pack into one sentence what would take other people five pages to write, okay? So as we read through this, 
Don't be overwhelmed with how much uh, he is saying, but I want just to read it and try to listen and just pick up a bit of the, the, the flow that Paul's saying. And we're just going to read right up to uh, our, memory, our memory, key memory verse for the week in Ephesians 2 there, okay? So Ephesians 1, and I'm uh, going to pick up right at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he's blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you can say verse 8 with me, 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. I know there's a bit of a translation difference there as far as which version you're using, so I'm reading from the ESV. I should have thought of that. But um, that is what we'll stop for now. And uh, I guess you see what I mean by Paul has an ability to pack a lot of information into a, a small part. This was only two, uh, not even two chapters, um, one in a part of a chapter. And you just begin to feel the, the weight of what Paul is trying to say. So I think you maybe feel something of my struggle um, as, as one who preaches. It, it's, not, it's not so much what I need to say, it's what I don't need to say. And, and so you can be in prayer for me in that too. We gotta help them to know what to leave out. <laughs> right? It's not a matter of, well, uh, I don't have anything else to say. It's like, oh, I can't say all this. So some people actually um, compare the studying of, of scripture, the study of God, to that of a, a crystal that you look at. And every time you turn it, it refracts the light differently, and the, 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 the colors change, and you turn it a little more, and again it changes, and the beauty it shifts. And, and this is something like studying the scripture, because the scriptures reveal to us God himself. Remember, it's his special revelation to us. And actually, we will be spending all of eternity searching out the person who is God. We will never exhaust the infinite nature of God. And this is one of the things that marks the Christian, is a delight to know God, a hunger to know Him. And again, that's something you can also pray that God give you. So, there's a lot that we could say here about this passage, and I just want to try to pick a few things out. Um, first of all, Paul... We've talked about him before, Paul the Apostle. So he was a Jew, he was a religious Jew, very religious, trained under one of the, the most uh, astute uh, um, Pharisees of his day, the, the, the man Gamaliel, and he actually was persecuting Christians. He was so angry at this, what he thought was a cult, claiming that they had found the Messiah and that he had died to somehow fulfill the Old Testament picture of, of, uh, of the lamb or something, and Paul made his mission to, to destroy these Christians, to imprison them, to get rid of them. And as he was on his way to actually put them into jail, as I said earlier, Jesus Christ, though he was risen and ascended to heaven, revealed himself to him and said, you are actually going to be my vessel, Paul. You're going to take this message, not just to the Jews, but to every other nation, which the Bible refers to as the Gentiles. So you have the Jews, and then you have the Gentiles, who are basically just um, non-Jews, um, which would be all of us, unless you happen to have you know, Jewish uh, ethnicity. So Paul is writing then to a church in Ephesus. Now what is a church? Well, even that I, um, is worth just mentioning to you. So as the new covenant is fully realized in Christ, what we find is, is the temple worship begins to diminish. In fact, in 70 AD, after Christ was raised and ascended, Jerusalem was destroyed by Rome, and the temple was destroyed, and the priesthood ended, and the sacrificial system ended. And what happened is the shift took place to now there is the church. 
the assembly of God's people. What is the church? Well, the church, it comes from a word that simply means an assembly of the called out ones. So Christ establishes a church, an assembly of believers. And this is important. He's writing this letter, and much of the letters in the New Testament are actually written to various churches, assemblies of believers. And I would say a church basically could be defined as a group of baptized believers in the Lord Jesus who gather together under the leadership of biblically qualified elders and pastors and also servant-hearted deacons. They gather to hear the word of God taught. They gather to sing praise to God, to pray, to fellowship, to break bread. And they also gather to observe the two covenant signs. Does anybody know what the two signs are of the new covenant? We've talked about covenant signs, the rainbow to Abraham was given circumcision, which also carried it to the Mosaic covenant. There are two signs that Christ established in the new covenant, reminders of the covenant. Anybody know what they are? Guesses? No? No, that's still tied to Noah. Two specific things. What's that? Sorry. No, no, it's two things that the church is called to do. Yeah. Okay, close. So what did Passover turn into, do you know? Communion. Yes, thank you. Communion, or the Lord's Supper. So, um, so Jesus established one of the covenant signs uh, as the Lord's Supper. And what is the other covenant sign? No longer the entry sign of... Circumcision, that's not required under the New Covenant uh, for the, the eight-day-old eight males. There's something else we do to people who profess faith in Christ. Baptism, thank you, I heard it. So those are the two covenant signs. These are established by Christ. They are reminders of this covenant of grace. And so if you profess faith in Christ, the first act of obedience, the first step of, of, of obeying Christ and telling, showing the world, I want to be a follower of Christ. I am, I've been changed. I've been taken from this dominion of darkness. I've been put into the dominion of light. I'm turning from my inheritance from Adam. I am looking to Christ for my new inheritance. You are to be baptized in water. And it is this dipping down or this immersing in the water, showing that you're being buried you're being crucified with Christ to your old way of living, your old desires and appetites. You're, you're laying those to rest. You're being raised up out of the water to indicate you are being raised with Christ to walk now in the strength of his spirit. And so these two signs are established. Christ himself was baptized by who? Do you know? Who baptized Jesus? Yeah. John Baptist, thank you, who, who was sent as a forerunner. So in John, uh, sorry, Matthew 3, we find that Jesus himself was baptized. And when he comes to John, John's like, Jesus, no way. You, you, you are. John tells Jesus, I can't baptize you. This is wrong. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, listen, John, calm down. We're going to do this to fulfill all righteousness. I need to perfectly obey everything that my Father has said. And so Jesus is baptized by John. And this marks the beginning of his ministry. And then he is taken off into temptation by the devil. And he also, and someone mentioned Passover as a covenant sign, and I appreciate that because the, the Israelites kept a feast of Passover which helped them remember the deliverance from Egypt. And they kept remembering that by a special meal called Passover. But Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed and handed over, this is what he said in Matthew 26, 26 to his disciples. 
Now, as they were eating, we read, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink, all, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus establishes this new covenant sign. The church does not keep Passover anymore because Christ has established a new meal, a new supper, which we call the Lord's Supper. And we take the cup and we take the bread to remember how it is we were purchased out of bondage to sin. And these two things are given to the church to do. These are not things we do in our homes. These are not things that are to be done privately. Often, you know, you and your friend off in the corner, I'm going to baptize my friend because it's what we're supposed to do. No, these are two ordinances given to the church of Jesus Christ to administer and to remember together. Okay, so I know this is a little aside, but these things are very important uh, for you to, to begin to understand. Now, um, as we look at Ephesians here, and I know this is very much swimming in the deep end, so, so do bear with me. Try to, to stay focused and I won't keep you uh, over time. But I really want you to, to really begin to understand this covenant of grace. It is incredible. It is mind-boggling. It is the basis of your salvation. I don't know if anyone here has ever struggled, struggled with um, the assurance of salvation. I know some of you would profess faith in Christ. And you would say that, that you are a believer. And this letter is really written to believers, which is important to understand. It's not that, you know, it's not for anyone else to read, but it's aimed at those who profess faith in Christ. And the covenant of grace for Paul was meant to comfort the Christian. It was meant to help you find assurance of your salvation. So you're not wondering day by day, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I lost? Am I, am I going to end up going into judgment? Or am I going to be kept by God? And, and, and that can be a miserable existence to constantly be in a state of wondering if you're actually even saved. And as you understand the basis of this covenant of grace, it's meant to be a rock under your feet. It is meant to give you a deep sense of assurance and peace. Now, Paul is saying here, first of all, I just want you to see from this passage that we read, and there's a lot in here, but first of all, I want you to see the covenant of grace actually was established before the ages began. It is a plan rooted in the eternal plan of God and in the finished work of Christ, not in you. It's not based on anything that you do. And that's the good news because whatever, every time that there's a covenant that is, is, uh, is based on man's response, what happens? What happened with Adam when the covenant was dependent on his obedience? What happened? He failed, right? It broke. He, he didn't last very long. What about Moses and the Israelites, the covenant based upon the, their ability to keep the law? How, how did that go? Terrible. terrible. <laughs> it went terrible. So if we have a covenant that is based within the triune God himself, if there is an agreement made before the ages began between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they together agree to do something for you, then you have assurance like nothing else. If there is a, if there is a covenant for us, that is actually rooted in an agreement between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
Do you think that is a covenant that can ever be broken? Can God break his word? No. No. Actually, in in order for God to lie, uh, to break his word, he would have to literally cease to be God. And so this is what Paul is saying, that this plan, this covenant of grace, of Christ coming into the world to die for sinners, to redeem us, to then lavish his love and grace upon us by faith, this was all part of an eternal covenant that God established between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each person of the Trinity had a different role in this covenant. So it wasn't the Father who came, it wasn't the Spirit who came uh, as a man, it was the Son. So the Father purposes to give the Son a people as an expression of his love for the Son, a bride. From Genesis to Revelation, you can also understand it as a wedding story of a father desiring a bride for his son as an expression of his love for his son and purposing to to get that bride, to rescue her, to purchase her. And so the father agrees to get a bride for his son. The son agrees, as we looked at our questions, he agrees to go and die for that bride, to obey the law for her and to die for her. And that's exactly what Christ does in the fullness of time after all these pictures that we've looked at we see that Christ comes into the world in the fullness of time and he lives a perfect life now you may say well I've never heard about that I've never heard about uh, the covenant of grace actually being rooted in an eternal plan between the Father, Son and Holy Spirit And if you want to turn for a moment with me, I want to look at one passage we see very clearly Jesus referencing this very thing in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 6, we see Christ reference this agreement. And we see how it affects your security in Christ as a Christian. All right? So John chapter 6 In verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. So you hear what's happening here. Jesus has offered to the people. He's looking out at a vast multitude. Thousands of people are following him at this point because they got a free meal the day before, and they're wanting another free meal. And Jesus looks out and says, I am the bread of life. You came here for manna, you came here for, you know, uh, fish and chips or whatever. I'm the bread of life. And whoever will come, anyone who will come, you will receive life from me. And you will not hunger anymore, and you will not thirst. But then Jesus goes on to verse 37, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then go down to, after he talks back and forth with the the Jews a bit more, verse 43, Jesus answers them again. 
Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. So Jesus is saying, look at this crowd, and he's saying, the only way for you actually to come to me and to, to understand what I'm saying, to, to eat of this bread, to drink of this living water, is that the Father himself gives you and draws you. And if that happens, if you are given by the Father as part of this bride, then I will keep you, I will hold you, I will not lose a single one of whom the Father has given. Why? Because it's based upon this covenant of grace. That's the basis of our assurance for salvation. It's not based on my faith. My goodness, if my salvation was based on the quality of my faith, be up and down. I would be lost one day, saved the next day, because there's days when you feel very distant from God. There's days when you, you are hurting, you are in pain, you don't understand where God is in this, and, 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 and you may just feel like there's no way I'm a Christian. And then the Lord graciously restores you and strengthens you and, and he keeps you and he, he draws you back. In fact, one of my favorite hymns is uh, He Will Hold Me Fast. And the words of that hymn go, When I fear that my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. And those he saves are his delight, Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He will not let my soul be lost, his promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. And Paul emphasizes this again if you go back to Ephesians this is emphasized again in our theme verse. This is God's work. It is him who does it. And you look, uh, he says that God, so we had in, in uh, Ephesians, back to Ephesians 2, 4, he just finishes this reminder of who we are from Adam, and he says in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he reminds them again in verse 8, which is our theme verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Do you see? The entire work of salvation is God from beginning to end. It is his plan it is him who sets it into motion. It is Christ who comes to purchase it and to accomplish it. It is the spirit who draws us, who wakens us to the beauty of Christ through the gospel. We are made alive. We are raised from the dead. And where we once looked at Christ and thought, boring, boring. I don't want anything of it. I hate him. Get away from me. Now, by the spirit's power, we look at Christ and we say, what a savior. That is the one who died for me. That is my hope and my glory. That is the one my soul loves. Do you see what has happened? A soul has gone from death to life. And as a result, we are forever changed and held by him. And this is why Jesus warns in Matthew's gospel that some will come to him on the day of judgment 
And they'll say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. We, we cast out demons. We preached in your name. We, we did missions and all of these things in your name. And he'll look at them and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. And you would say, how can that be? How is it possible that someone would make a profession of faith saying, Lord, Lord, even performing miracles, and yet in the end be lost? Because you see, there is the difference between going through external motions about even singing a song or learning a verse or going to church or paying, you know, maybe money to the church or all of these things, which are good things. But if they don't flow from a heart that has been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, if they don't flow from a heart that loves God where he once hated God, then in the end, it is not pleasing to the Lord. And it actually is not true conversion. And so you have to test yourself. And we'll talk about this some more. I know this is very heavy this evening, and we'll kind of wrap it up tomorrow with some uh, look at scriptures of ways we can examine ourselves, ways we can, can know and see if we are truly walking with Christ. But as we close, we see that not only is this covenant of grace rooted in God's eternal plan, and, and God is the one who brings it about and accomplishes it, but we also see that we are actually not at the center of God's plan of salvation. There was a song that used to, I haven't heard it in a long time, um, but it used to drive me crazy. It was a pretty song in many ways. Um, and uh, the chorus went something like, um, he took the fall, he thought of me above all, like a rose. And uh, I haven't sang it this week, so hopefully not offending anyone specifically, but um, that line, he took the fall, he thought of me above all. Is that true? Is that true? And I mean, we want to say, yes, of course, we were at the center of God's plan. We were the very apple of his eye. But you need to understand, as Paul reveals to us in Ephesians 1, at the center of God's plan actually is to the praise of his glorious grace. Paul repeats this over and over again in Ephesians 1. In verse 6, he says, after describing what God has done for us, to the praise of his glorious grace. And then he says it again in verse 12 to the praise of his glorious grace. And again, in verse 14, this theme keeps coming up, to the praise of his glory. And in fact, even in our key verse for the week, why has God done this? Why has he lavished his grace on us? We're told because that we might, for, we are created for Christ Jesus, his workmanship, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, at the very center of all that God's doing in this covenant is his own glory. And that's one of our questions. Why did God make you in all things? Remember the answer? Why did God make you in all things? Yeah. For his own glory. That's why you're here. That's what this is all about. I sometimes wonder why is it that celebrities often take their lives. And it's a very tragic thing. In fact, you believe it or not, I actually liked, uh, there was a band I listened to quite a bit. I like their music still as far as music goes. I'm not saying I encourage you to listen to them. I like the band Linkin Park, for example, as far as the style. That may seem strange to you. But, uh, but sadly, the lead singer actually killed himself at probably at the very peak of their career as a band. 
And we think, why is that? Why is it that these people, they, the celebrities and, and, and the movie stars, these people that we aspire to be like, they get to what we would think as the very peak of their career. They would have everything, right? They had the money, they had popularity. I mean, these guys can basically choose whatever girl they want to be with. They, they, they just, they seem to have it all, and yet they take their own life. Why is that? Well, I believe in part, other than the, the, the nature of sin itself, but in part, we're actually not meant to stand in the spotlight. We're not made to. And when we are in that place, it may seem good for a moment. It feels good for a bit. We like the applause. We like the cheers and, and all of the attention. But in the end, there's something within us that knows I'm not made to stand in the light. I'm made to praise the light. I'm made to worship it, to delight in it, to, to point to it and says, that is glorious. And this is the gospel. At the very center is the glory of God. You are made to delight in Him, to worship Him, and to praise Him. And in that place, you find purpose and meaning and beauty. Sometimes I think about what it will be like when, when Christ returns. Our bodies that are now prone to sin and corruption still clinging to the old Adam, but also being renewed by the Spirit. And so there's this tension, there's this battle that is going on within us. But when Christ returns, we're told our bodies will be raised incorruptible, will be given new bodies, no longer inflicted by sin, holy and happy again. And we will gather with the saints around the throne of Christ. We will gather with Adam and Eve. We will gather with Noah and Abraham and, and their wives. And we'll gather with Sarah and Miriam. And, and we will gather with the saints of all the ages. And we'll gather around the throne of Christ. And we will lift up our voice together like there has never been a song in all of creation. And we will sing with the saints, even as we read in Revelation 5. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, the saints sing, and they shall reign on the earth. And what a day that will be. I will not be standing at the center. You will not be standing at the center. At the center will be Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and we will sing the song of the saints and we will delight to worship him. Because even as Paul said, we cannot boast of this salvation. There is no ground for boasting. It's all of grace. Through faith, God's riches at Christ's expense and our faith, even that being the gift of God by the Spirit, connects us to this great work that Christ has done. And so I pray you begin to see that. See, these are, as I said, these are things I haven't um, even really been exposed to until I was in my 20s. And you guys, I know you're young, but you've also proven to me that, that you are very capable of thinking on a deep level and asking hard questions and wrestling with scripture. And so I don't expect you to, to have all this sorted out, but I pray you begin to see something of the beauty of this covenant of grace in Christ it is the basis of your salvation, and it is a place of refuge and security. And I encourage you as well, even thinking about Christ having established the church, as Paul writes to this church in Ephesus. 
Bible camp is a wonderful time. It's a wonderful opportunity to grow in the Lord and to, to meet with friends. But to all of you campers and also to the counselors, remember that it is the church that Christ has established as the eternal institute, the eternal bride. And so if you're not plugged into a strong church, I would encourage you to do that. And even for you campers, maybe you're here and you've, throughout the week, you've become to, 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 to love the things of God. Maybe you've confessed your sin to God and you say, I, I want to go on. I want to follow Christ. What am I supposed to do? My family doesn't go to church. Well, please talk to Josh or I or one of your counselors. We would love to help you find a church in your area to plug into. And even for you counselors and leaders, uh, I encourage you, do not see camp simply as a replacement for plugging into a church, a body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's close there for tonight, and uh, we'll close and see if we can wrap all this up tomorrow. So let's uh, pray, and we'll, we'll close. Father in heaven, we come before you and just thank you once again for your word. Lord, we know that there are mysteries here and wonders that my, Lord, my words fall so very short to try and explain. But I pray that these, these dear young folks, Lord, they would begin to grasp something of the incredible work of salvation, the basis of our hope, this agreement between the Father, Son, and Spirit to redeem us, to, to come and accomplish the work of our salvation and to call us out of the darkness, to bring us to life and to keep us by the power of your Spirit until the day in which Christ himself returns. Lord, that they would know the, the peace that passes understanding. And even, Lord, as Paul would pray for the, the, the church at Ephesus, that their minds may be, Lord, enlightened to see and know Christ personally. And we ask your just hand of mercy as we go into the evening for the games and all the activities that we can be safe and respectful to one another and that you may just continue to, to guide us uh, into your word and into the weekend. We pray this all now in Jesus' name. shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hand. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Tune in next time and we'll see what happens as our story continues. Remember, if you would like to write to us or find out more information, you can find us online at www.kidsway.ca. And don't forget to head over to www.soulmusic.ca to find many more songs that Jamie Souls has written and recorded. See you next time. May God bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. See